Hi, everyone. This is Law School in Brief. With Megan and... Lydia. Yes. <laughs> We're back nine days later um, because when you're in law school, scheduling is incredibly hard, especially when you're scheduling around classes, outside of classwork, and sleep deprivation. Um, but we're here. And well, also because I moved into my new apartment, but I hadn't set up Wi-Fi. And let me tell you, I was productive. I had even thought, like, maybe I should save my money, not pay for Wi-Fi. Sometimes Whoa. my computer would connect to the cookie store below me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it wouldn't. And then just after one day, I was like, nope, I need it. I need it. In what world? <laughs> in what upside down world were you living where you thought you could make it through the first year of law school without wi-fi in your apartment <laughs> because i because now i'm a 20 minute walk from school 15 to 20 minute walk from school so i can just go there i do my school work you know one but then way yeah oh my god lydia that's 30 negligible minutes what are you gonna... <laughs> 40 if you're going slow <laughs> <laughs> which I am because it's still hot here. So I'm like show up to school drenched. That's what. Yeah. Anyways, uh, remember how I was begging you to affirm me last week that this week would be better? Yes. <laughs> I think that it is. I think that it was better. Oh, All of good. those questions that I had, um, it was like I, asked, I I was troubled by, you know what? I should have re-listened to it to see. But it was something I was I was really wanting to know like what's the point of briefing and I really wanted to know um about like the deal with thinking like a lawyer and then the day after we recorded this um professor gave a workshop a professor from Pepperdine School of Law Peter Wendell he came uh and gave this it was two and a half hours so it was kind of a kind of a break from studying and it was really intense but it was so great. He answered like all of my questions. And he also has a book called Deconstructing Legal Analysis, a 1L primer. I have not read it, but he said that all the information he gave was there. I think it was like really nice to have a workshop because I um, was not going to go from reading cases to reading like a book about how to read cases. But uh, I don't know, like if any of our listeners are not in law school yet, it could be helpful. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't even know what a brief was when I got to law school. So if you even had the vaguest idea before coming, you would be head and shoulders above your classmates. You knew enough to give our podcast this punny name. I was really impressed. Well, I assumed you knew what a brief was. That was, no. <laughs> you I just, just knew that it was. I'm an underwear enthusiast. <laughs> I read a lot of Captain Underpants. <laughs> Uh, yes. God. Yeah. Oh, there is. Yeah, actually, um, I had this written down somewhere. Yeah, if you're listening along and you've never been to law school, <laughs> and you want to just kind of know what a case is, then there are cases online. Where did I write this down? Okay. Yeah. Um, Harvard has Harvard Libraries has like a lot of open source material. If you go to opencasebook.org, then even without an account, which is free, you can click on view a book and there's a contact, sorry, not contact, <laughs> contract law casebook. And it's just a collection of cases and you can click on them and read them. Um, or you can go to case.law, which is also a Harvard site. And you can search for whatever case you want. So like if you've never been to law school, but you've heard of something like Citizens United or Obergefell or something, you just search that and then you can read the case and like read that with the lawdictionary.org beside it and just give it a go. And then try <laughs> to identify what important facts are in the case and what the what legal issues come up and what the court decides and why they decided it. And if you do that before you go to law school, like seriously, I'm like four weeks in and I'm like, oh, I think I figured it out thanks to this one workshop. Um, yeah. I also feel like, I mean, I did not know about that. Shout out to Harvard for their investment in the public education. Um, however, that sounds like an amazing litmus test for whether or not you would be bored out of your skull in law school or if you genuinely were curious. Like when I'm reading a case, 
and I'm a know nothing. I'm coining this. This is a noun, a know nothing. <laughs> um, I I feel like Sherlock Holmes. I have my Black's Law diction- dictionary open with my left hand. I have my right hand on my you know computer. Um, if you're into that, like even if you don't know what you're doing or where you're going or where it's leading you, if you like the process, and I feel like using Lydia's uh, tools that she just recommended would get you to a place where you could figure out if you like that process, then you will like law school. If by the end of reading that case, you're like, wow, I want to burn this online source, then probably don't. Or maybe, you know, give it a harder think. I don't know. (laughs) The only difference I think is that my casebook, at least, they have kind of abbreviated cases. And this has the full thing. Does your casebook have abbreviated, like, is one case like two or three pages or is it like 10? Two or three, typically, okay. unless yeah. it's one of the cases that I have come to hate, which perhaps we'll talk about later. If I even want, if I even feel like bringing it up by name, it doesn't <laughs> deserve that. <laughs> um, let me talk about this guy, Professor Wendell. Yes. Uh, so I'm sitting there. He's telling us about doing legal analysis and um, trying to figure out which legal rules to pull out of a case. And I realized that I had, I had just been like going, I had not been, sorry, going back and forth between the intersection of facts and the rules that can be taken from those facts Mm -hmm. that then can be applied to other facts. Like when I would write a brief, I'd be like, when this really specific thing happens, then the court will say this about that thing. And that's not what you're doing. And then I also wasn't talking about the policy reasons for that can justify that rule. Like this, you know, like we should, um, I can't, I can't even think of a hypo. I should have, <laughs> should have prepared this before. Um, but you know what I mean? Like the, the bigger societal reasons for making that kind of rule. Cause if the facts are kind of ambiguous, which often, you know, often a, a question goes high up in the courts cause it's a good question that could kind of go either way. Sure. Then sometimes you're drawing from more than just the facts and from previous rules, from previous cases, you're thinking about the implications of ruling one way or another and the, the policy reasons for that. And so I was like, wow, there's just a lot that I haven't been doing. And at this point in the semester, I have briefed 80 cases. Woof. And so I was like, Oh, I, I need to go back through all of them. So I did, <laughs> which was good to review. And I also realized I have been spending so much time reading that I haven't been able to review what I'm reading. Um, that's concerning to me. I, I guess part of it's a time management thing and part of it's a like reading speed thing. Wait, but, let, me, yeah. let me pause you really quick on that note. Are you, and I don't want to like go off on like a huge tangent about this, but are you creating outlines for each of your classes? Uh. I not a kind of, I have like, I recognized while I was listening to this professor that I really needed to redo like that. This was the kind of the first step is um, going back and like really giving it my all for finding the legal rule that could then be applied to other cases. And that wasn't so case specific and that, Oh, and then another reason that I am sleep deprived. Oh, that beeping is my rice cooker. Uh, now that I'm in my new apartment and I have all the gadgets, the <laughs> eggplant is in the instant pot and the rice is in the rice, rice cooker. But uh, yeah, so I need the rules from the cases so that I can organize them thematically in an outline, but I just haven't started doing that yet. Wow. Oh, but, okay. Oh, but I was gonna say the reason I'm so sleep deprived is also because then I was comparing those rule statements to like the professional case briefs, uh, like on LexisNexis and Quimby uh, that we've mentioned before, because the answer to how do you know if you're doing work correctly, and I just can't, I just can't believe that I that it took me so long to like click all these things in place. Because now that I listened to last week's, I'm like, Lydia, you silly. But I guess it's just hindsight bias or whatever bias it is. But 
<laughs> clearly still sleep deprived. But like, yeah, you, like I think the process for me based on listening to this guy is like read the case, brief it, really think about like the legal rule, the policy reasons, um, how it fits in with like the statutes that already exist and like what it's clarifying, then compare it to what's already out there. And then if there, if it doesn't match up and you don't know why, then I'll go to office hours. And there are like, now that I've gone through 80 of them, there's at least like 10 or 15 that I'm like, that okay, that no doesn't sense. match up, but I haven't gone to office hours yet. And I think part of it is that I don't have something concrete to ask. Like I kind of just want to hang yes. out. Like I really like all my professors. Yes. But like I want to mm-hmm. go and be like, look, I have not gotten out of this case what the internet thinks I should get out of this case. So what do you want me to get out of this case? Like I think that that's a more productive start to a conversation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I So a lot of thoughts here. Um, also, for the listeners at home who have perhaps never briefed a case – I'm only going to speak for myself, but I'm going to guess that this uh, the statement will be echoed by many a law student who are attempting briefs in their first semester of law school. Um, let's say the case is four pages long and of medium difficulty. For me to brief that case probably is going to take a solid hour to read four pages reread so what i'll do is i'll read it just once over to kind of get the general like to orient myself in the case right what is going on who is suing who for what what you know like get there then the second pass i'll go through and i'll actually try to pull apart the different pieces of the case um which then fit into what we're calling or what is called it's not a term we've coined a brief right so like you know uh what courts did this case go through what is the issue at hand like what is going on fundamentally what are the facts of this case um what did the court decide and then as Lydia was talking about what rule was applied so like what precedent cases did they use to come up with the holding to to decide this case um, what authorities are they looking at? Like what statutes, what constitutional laws, that kind of thing. And once you have sat there and done this work and like read the case and picked apart the elements and thought about what the plaintiff would argue, what the defense would counter, you know, what the judge might think, what the, what the concurring or dissenting judge might say, then you have this like half a page to a page brief And that is the product of all the toiling and labor that you've gone through. You essentially have like a quick sheet so that in the unfortunate event of you getting cold called, you don't sound like an absolute asset. Like you can like actually talk about this case with semi-proficiency. Yeah, it takes me a long time as well. It's just so long. You're not getting one or two cases a night. You're getting like upwards of seven or eight. And that's just for one class. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so there's a lot going on here, which uh, brings me to my point last week, or not my point, but my I was just so struggling with okay, if the point is to pick out the rule, and uh, you know, if you remember, I wasn't even doing that right, but if that's the point, then what's the difference between just reading the rule and going through like all of this work? And so this, I, I asked the guy like, like point blank, I was like, what's the point? Um, and I just really like the, uh, my takeaway from my conversation with them. So there is this dual purpose. One is to learn the rules that come out of the case. And the other is to condition yourself to think like a lawyer. These things are what we had kind of already predicted. Uh, but the whole there's like another layer to both of those. So learning the rules, even though, even if we have exams that are open book, we kind of have to memorize all the rules and memorization takes so many different 
like encounters with the material that you really get familiar with it the first time if you've gone through the work. Then the next layer of the thinking like a lawyer is that um, it takes so much time to get through this when you're not familiar with it, but then we do become familiar with it and becomes much faster. And you just want to be going through the process of getting faster while everyone else is also going through that learning process. Like you don't want to be your second year of law school still like relying on an outside source and still slow at this, still spending like hours on each case. Um, and yeah. you definitely don't want to be slow, that slow when you're getting your job your, during the summer. Um, so fall semester of 1L is like the best time. So I'm kind of like, it was kind of relieving to be like, oh yeah, this is temporary. This is the learning process. This isn't like what I signed up for. Um, so that was really freeing. And uh, in addition to like taking the time to read and like analyze uh, the material, you're also, when you're writing the brief, writing. So you can mm -hmm. write your brief in the style of legal analysis and get practice for that in a way. And that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, no. I mean, that is something that I had to sort of reconcile with myself because when I'm, when it's, you know, 9 PM and I've been at school for 13 hours or whatever, and I'm in the library and I'm doing case briefs, there is this really, really appealing temptation to just write it for myself. And if I'm writing it for myself, I'm like putting in little jokes to help me remember. I am like, I mean, I still do this regardless. I, but like I, like, that, I, yeah. I nickname all the cases, but <laughs> if, I mean, yeah, I literally, some of my nicknames are like the maybe pedophile case, like the, like, the yeah, the, the cult deprogramming escapee case. Um, but seriously, I, if you can really, it feels like you are walking through the desert on your knees a thousand miles, but if you commit to it and you sit down and you write the brief, like you're going to have to turn it in, you do get faster. And like, I've probably only gotten ever so subtly faster, but it, it does become easier to pick apart all the different elements that you're supposed to be looking for. But, oh, my God, when I say it feels like you're walking through the desert on your knees a thousand miles, I mean it. It's like you it, – it feels like I love a good physical challenge. This is absolutely a mental challenge, and it, it, it at times feels physical. I don't know about you, but after a while, and I think you probably, Lydia, are better at this than I am because you have that app that makes you take a break every 25 minutes, but – I, one of the guys in the library, he like runs the IT department. He came over to me yesterday and he was like, you've been sitting here for four hours. Have you gotten up and walked around? And I'm like, I, I like look like a bridge troll. I'm like, no. And he's like, you need to like do a lap, like stretch, drink some water. And then I hissed at him and he went. <laughs> like, I mean, I feel but like you're actually in my body. Doing you're actually doing the right work. So I also realized I haven't been writing in the, in like a, a proper style. I've been yeah. writing for myself for all of those 80 cases, <sighs> shorthand, all this stuff. So I have a lot to, and I, you know, I'm realizing like, Oh, these things are like kind of obvious. Even if some of our listeners have already stopped this episode, cause they're like, duh, then I would not judge them. <laughs> Because I, I'm like, oh, what if everyone else has figured this out and I'm three weeks behind? There's no way of getting ahead. But that's okay. I'm not trying to be top of the class. Um, but I just thought to myself, oh, yeah, <laughs> you could know this before. You could. But I didn't. Um, but even even though I like really like this uh, conception of briefing, and I think there's a really strong case for it, it's kind of the only thing that I have. Like, I'm not convinced that it's the only way to do legal education or that it's the best way. Like, it's, it's I, I guess because I have experience with language immersion, I would really like, and just like project-based work and creative work. Like, oh, there's so much, there's so much you could do to teach this material that's not this. 
But given that this is what I have, <laughs> now I'm going to do it better. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, I... Um, yeah, no, sleep deprived. Yeah, that, okay. I got a lot out of it. I think it, like, I, I'm really glad that now I can, I'm kind of at least like on board. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. <gasps> okay. <laughs> so with these goals, like even though I am I'm in on briefing now in a way that I wasn't last week, I still think that these goals of um, writing well, reading well, and memorizing legal rules and learning how to identify legal rules, um, that those can be achieved in, in like at different times and that you can, you know, like if you, if it's a decision between like reading that eighth case uh, or getting another hour of sleep, then I think I, I, I'm on board with sometimes watching the video and like just using that case to learn a legal rule and committing to not doing that all the time committing to like yes. reading, writing other times. But I think I, I kind of feel more free now to, you know, like all of this reviewing that I did the past few days to go over all 80 cases, it meant that I like kind of skimmed some of my cases. And I'm like, you know what? But you have to review. And like, I, I don't know if it's just, I don't think I'm like that bad at time management. I think that the, the material that we're assigned is like almost unrealistic. Yes, so, I have you know? to, I have to agree with you on that. Uh, this is the thing that I suspect, and you can quote me on this, you know, in a year or two or three, but I suspect that the thing that they do not tell you, and by they, I mean the professors and the administration. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. Is that it is impossible to do all the work and that there is a significant portion of your law school experience that is completely dictated by your ability or I shouldn't say experience, your law school success that is dictated by your ability to juggle the unjugglable and figure out what it is that you need to do that is absolutely essential. Like, it's like, which ball are you going to drop, I think, is really what it boils mm -hmm. down to. And I'm not saying I'm not advocating for, like, dropping the same ball all the time, but there is not a single person law school that I mean, that has explicitly said this to me, or anybody in my class, or you, or you know, who has said, Yes, I read every case every time I do a full brief and I get eight hours of sleep. I have a full social life. I exercise three times a week and I'm generally happy. And that's right. essentially what they're telling you a successful law student does, is, can do, will be. I'm convinced it's impossible. And it's all about finding the equilibrium, finding the balance, figuring out when to go to sleep, like when enough is enough, <laughs> when you just need to close the laptop and say to yourself, nothing productive is going to happen after this. I will instead set my alarm for 30 minutes earlier tomorrow, drink coffee and get back at it. Like that is so far, Megan Riley Drees, September Eighteenth is saying this right here, right now. I I really think that's what it is. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, I in my mind, I think I was thinking like, if I don't, re if I can't even read all of this, then how will I ever be employable? But I don't think that this is a typical job assign type assignment like I can imagine doing the work in law school that makes me able to thoroughly read and analyze new information yes you know yes. what I mean like we're, we're going to be working on cases that don't have a LexisNexis um <laughs> entry because they haven't been decided yet that's why you're working on them but mm -hmm. like as long as we can do that in the future I don't know um so that's kind of what I've been thinking about this week. And I just feel like better about that. Yeah, I, I feel you. I, every single day, I, I, I'm not even like, I'm not even being facetious when I say this. I, every single day so far in law school, I have felt 
like this overwhelming sense of at, at one point in the day, I felt an overwhelming sense of I've got this. And then at the same day, I felt utter despair. <laughs> like, oh, like, yeah. I should be to- clear. I don't feel like I got it. I just feel like now I kind of know what I need to do. I have not yet sure. done what I need to do, but I just kind of at least feel like, you know, I'm on a path and I'm not just like drowning in briefs. Yeah. I As organized as they are. I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, shout out to Evernote. After our after the episode where we talked about organizational tools, I downloaded Evernote and it has been such a game changer. I love Does it read Evernote. your handwriting? I have not tried to okay. make it read my handwriting. Um, I do not take handwritten notes in class. I type directly oh. into Evernote. But what I do is after every class, I immediately go and I take what I noted in class and I add it to the appropriate places in my outline. So my outline is like this ever growing, ever changing entity. Um, Yeah. And that's been working really well for me. I forgot what I was going to say, but Oh yeah. Like today, for example, um, real life example, super fun. Uh, I have had a few stress dreams so far um, just like about a month in of getting to school only to find that there was an assignment due that I was unaware of. And today that almost happened. I, oh. yeah. So last week I was, we were commiserating over the interactive citation workbooks on LexisNexis. Um, and I ended up, so I had about 25 problems to work on total. 10 of them were like total, like easy, easy, low hanging fruit. And then 15 of them were just in the weeds. I had no idea what I was doing. So how it long did t- it take you? Yeah. It took me three hours, Oh. three hours. And I worked really hard and I got nine out of 15 correct. Um, but it gives you a second chance or mine gives me three chances and it yep. kind of tells you. What, yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm counting those. <laughs> I got nine out of 15 correct. Um, And my professor uh, is merciful and said, I know like to the class, not just to me, I'm not the only pitiable person. This is really hard the first time you do it. So I'm going to go ahead and reset that particular workbook and you can go back and give it a second shot. And if you get an 80% or higher, you get full credit. And Yeah, and so I had plans to do that again this weekend, right? So I get to school today, and I'm sitting in torts, and my classmate, Brittany, shout out to Brittany. She listens to the podcast. Um, Hi, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Um, Brittany's like, I'm talking to her about these interactive citation workbook problems, and I said, yeah, you know, I think I'm probably going to work on those uh, later this evening or this weekend, and she looks at me and goes, Oh no, those were due today. Like those were no. the, re- the reset was due today. And I mean, Lydia, I became like I I hope that Brittany didn't realize the amount of like rage and despair that I was feeling in that moment. But I I think that my toes curled and my fists clenched and my teeth were grinding. And I was just like, how could you have been so stupid to myself you know just like how could you have done this and so I after about 30 minutes I turn like we're in torts class and you know there's some chitter chatter happening and I turned to Brittany and I said okay 30 minutes is up I'm officially letting it go I'm not going to be mad about this anymore it's worth a (laughs) tiny little fraction of my grade so what I'm going to get is zero it's going to be a learning lesson it's going to be fine we're going to be fine right so then after class we are walking down to our legal research class, which is the class for which this ICW thing was due. And I'm talking to another classmate of mine. And I said, did you manage to finish like the reset version of the workbook? And he goes, no, we have two more weeks to do that. She said it in (gasps) last week's class. Yeah. And then, and so like, I just want to take you and the listeners back to an hour before that I was prepared to like, (laughs) 
like wage war on myself and like like Do- you, you know for the harry potter fans like dobby like slamming his ears in the <laughs> oven door just like stupid stupid like i was so mad and then like an hour and a half later i'm thinking oh my gosh i'm okay it's okay i didn't i didn't miss anything i'm gonna be i'm gonna be fine and then I felt like an absolute idiot for allowing myself to go on this crazy, like, polar emotions trip, just, like, swinging back and forth between these extremes. Oh, it's but been a day. But that's so relatable. That is yes. just so relatable. Oh, God. I, I'm not a fan of the ICW. I did find a way that makes it less horrible for me. Tell. I will tell, tell you. <laughs> So the way I had been doing it, and uh, I guess I should describe this for the listeners. You get kind of like the name of a case. It'll be like Megan versus Lydia, 2019, blah, blah, blah. It's in this, it's on this like journal and from this year. And it's just like kind of a little couple sentences and you have to put it in like a one line, like the right italics and right commas and stuff. And so I had been going through like each element of it and like typing out what it should be. And being as perfect as possible. And that takes a really long time. Because as I mentioned, the blue book is not very well organized or not intuitively organized, I it should is, say. It is what <laughs> I've heard to I, I've heard it called quote unquote user hostile. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. yes. So um I'm just like flipping through and also like one section will be like before you read the section, refer to section six. And so I go there and it's like refer to section two. It's like a choose your own adventure, but you don't get any choice and it's not an adventure you just have to flip back and forth forever (laughs) so (laughs) what i do now is i like look at the 10 problems i just write on a piece of paper as quickly as i can what i think it might be and then once i have my 10 i'll be like okay i'm gonna flip to the section the blue book on case names and go through each of these 10 names and make sure that I've like shortened things and make sure that I've italicized and whatever. Then I'll go to like the date or the court reporter or something in that section and go through all of them, like an assembly line, like a fire Wait, line. That's genius. Yeah. So you lay this, out the I don't, 10 yeah. and then yeah. you, oh my on gosh. Paper. So, you so I can like cross on paper, yeah. Out. So you, and also so you don't get like a ding against you for getting it wrong. Uh, yeah. So you are effectively probably cutting out a cool two thirds of the amount of flipping you would have to do otherwise. And by flipping, I mean flipping the pages in the book because that is maddening. I have paper cuts all over my hands. (laughs) I'm exaggerating now, but they're emotional paper cuts. They're they're wounds of a certain kind. Yeah. Oh, that's my, Oh, Oh, I have a couple um, examples of cases and what I had put and what I had my second attempt. Well, and we had, we had talked about maybe like talking about cases we thought were really interesting. So I just have a couple illustrations. Please. The first one that I'll share, there's a whole documentary about it. So anyone who is kind of interested in this, just Google Popov v. Hayashi. Popov, a, like the cheap vodka that comes in a plastic bottle that I, I don't my know. <laughs> P-O-P-O-V? Undergrad career. POPOV. Shout out to Trader Joe's. <laughs> anyway. Okay, I learned something new. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a vodka bottle versus um, uh, Mr. Hoyashi. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> these these two men, they didn't know each other. Uh, they would just happen to be seated next to each other at a baseball game when this like record-setting home run ball flew into the stadium. And there's a convention in baseball where the ball that goes into the stadium is considered abandoned property. So whoever Mm -hmm. catches it gets to keep it. It's not, it doesn't need to be returned. Um, I guess that could be a generalization. And so you see in the video, the documentary has this video, the ball like touches Popov's like mitt and then he's tackled. And he's also thrown to the ground. And while Hayashi's on the ground, he sees the ball. So he picks it up. And so then the question is, like, who gets the ball? The guy who almost caught it, who might have been able to fully grab hold of it if he hadn't been tackled, or the guy who picks it up and is actually, like, holding it. Um, and so that's the general scenario. And so in my notes, when I didn't quite 
understand how to pull out the like essential, you know, legal question of the case. Mm-hmm. I wrote <laughs> Popov had some claim to possession by attempting to catch and hold the ball. Like that is not a takeaway that you can apply to any other <laughs> case ever, probably. Yeah. So definitely not that- the rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely not. My second attempt, and I'm still not sure if this is right, but now I have written possession includes can include both a prepossessory interest and retention. Is so the possessory interest in this case like seeing the ball like imminently traveling toward his mitt and thinking, this is my ball? Is that what that is? It's like the it touching the mitt. Like that developed. Like now the Papa interest, has some like yeah. So the interest forms upon the ball making contact with the mitt, however so slight. I well I don't know. (laughs) You should read the case. (laughs) That is so, I'm also like, that is interesting to me because I understand how that could create interest. Um, But I'm also wondering if you zoomed this out and this is based on no legal anything and having not read the case, but like when you go to a baseball game, I think everyone secretly wants to catch like a ball that's hit by one of the baseball players. And so could just being at that game establish interest? I don't know. Well, it it wouldn't be. I mean, but if everyone has it, it seems pretty diluted. Yeah. But also they took into account that this illegal action happened to prevent him from, you know, maybe catching it for real. Like the horse playing was, you know, was not his fault. And it wasn't Hayashi's fault either. So, but they're like, well, what happens when this like unlawful act gets in the way? But anyways, this was like such a record setting home run. The ball was that like estimated to be worth a ton. So both of them like really wanted it. Wanted this ball. Yeah. Yeah. And the court ended up, do you want the spoiler? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The court ended up. <clears throat> wait, well, okay. Which wait, wait? I should ask you. Which which guy do you think got to keep it? I think it's probably without having one. read any of the case. Just so here. I, <laughs> I think it's the one that had. Um, I think it's the one whose mitt the ball touched initially. Even though he might not have actually caught it, even if the people didn't tackle him like yes. because of the pre- okay so um the court was like that's pretty pretty strong claim so you're half right megan but um the other guy he also had a pretty good claim so they were like the only thing we can do is you have to sell the ball and split the money Oh, okay. But then, then the ball didn't <clears throat> sell for as much as they thought it would because everyone was like disgusted by watching this case unfold. And um, then Popov's like legal fees exceeded what <gasps> he got, but Hayashi's didn't because someone took him on pro bono. I think the I I actually haven't watched the documentary, but I think I will because it's pretty interesting. Whoa. Yeah, see, you're not in property yet, but it's pretty cool. That is so that is so interesting. I huh. Okay, I have another example. This is petty. Are you ready? Oh, I'm here for the petty cases. Yes. Okay, this is from my contracts class. It's called Angel V. Murray. Wait, I feel like I've read this. Really? Yeah, maybe, maybe. The trash collection? (laughs) go on go on okay so this guy angel he's a citizen um but you know uh, of the city also taxpayer um and he got these other people from the city to bring a case against the trash collector because he the trash collector kept getting more and more money his contract kept being uh changed Uh uh-huh and you're like, whoa, what's this loaded trash collector's deal? So basically, <laughs> he had a contract with the city to collect 
all the trash. Like that was the language in the contract. Collect all the trash. <laughs> well, him and his team. But like <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like a <laughs> What are the elements of trash? Let's break that down. No, I'm kidding. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So this was kind of the amount that he was going to be paid to collect all the trash was kind of based on like how many houses of trash he would have to pick up and like how much the city would grow every year. Okay. And then the city like exploded, like so many new people. And so he was like, whoa, I still have to collect all the trash, but I'm going to way more houses. Can you please amend my contract? And the city was like, that is reasonable. Yes. Mm -hmm. and the citizens were like, stop giving him more of our money that the city could be using on other things. Like these in these contract negotiations, he's getting more money, but his promise stays the same. Like his, he hasn't given any further. Collect all the trash. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's against our city charter. And the trial court was like, oh my gosh, you're so right bad trash collector and then the appeal court was like chill out that the city charter did not intend to limit the city's ability to amend an existing contract like they can do what's reasonable um so my first attempt at drawing out the legal rule from this petty trash case was the city council had the authority to modify the existing contract <laughs> that's just not a legal rule that's just like <laughs> what happened um <laughs> Here's my second attempt. Contracts may be modified if the changes are one, voluntary, two, happen prior to full performance, three, are made due to unexpected circumstances, and four, the modification is equitable, which is like stuff we went over in class. But I was just like, I've got to redo everything. Well, if you want to you know? talk about redoing rules. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the one, can I, did you have another case you wanted to talk about? Um, it's not significantly more interesting it's just about two yeah okay <laughs> purtle versus shelton for torts did you read this the two teens who were hunting no One of that them sounds good left, wait they're like yeah what what type of tort is it because we <laughs> well, we've you're only gonna done... tell me after i read <laughs> <laughs> okay oh gosh <laughs> um, <laughs> unintentional unintentional um two teens are hunting they're both in like in the trees. One of them leaves their stand to walk back to the road and the other sh shoots him thinking that he was a deer. Oh no. So the first one, like there's things that both of them could have do to, done to kind of avoid this. The first one could have made his presence known and be like, hey, I'm going to get some lemonade. Or uh, the other one could have checked to be like, well, I know my friend's in the woods. Let me just double check that that's not Wait, did the one who was walking to the road die? No. Okay. Wait, actually... I'm not sure because it could have been his family that brought the case. Oh my! I don't. Okay. I don't. Um. So well, you know what? I wonder if he died. If it'd be criminal, still unsure what a tort is. <laughs> Please check in with me in a couple. No, weeks. murder is criminal. <laughs> that, is, that is not a tort. Um, but it could be. It could be both. It could be like negligence and I don't know. Maybe. Low. Bad. Okay. Let's. Go I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So the. So both of them did these kind of negligent things. Mm -hmm. So the judge was like, you need to like determine this negligence, but you need to compare these teens to like what a, you know, a hypothetical reasonable teen from a similar background. Wow, reasonable. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the, what do you think that they said <laughs> of which one was, had the blame. Oh, dang. Okay, so let me review the facts of this case. There are two teens hunting in the forest in the trees. One of the teens descends the tree for unknown reasons and starts walking away. The teen who remains in the tree shoots and maybe kills the teen that got down and was walking away because he thought he was a deer. Yeah. So... Based on those very limited facts, we're supposed to figure out which of the teens was acting as a reasonable teen would, given the circumstances? No, just if they weren't reasonable, then they're negligent, I think. I, I okay, should just but, tell you, the jury says no, that they're no, both. No. Oh, ah, the both? No, damn it, damn it, damn it. I was going to say, 
if we're trying to figure out if they if they acted unreasonably, then shouldn't we? I mean, wouldn't one way to figure that out be to decide who was being reasonable? I don't know. Well, you're comparing each of them against like a hypothet what one imagines a reasonable teen of a similar background would do. And the jury was like, okay, they're both a little negligent. Let's split the responsibility. And so obviously they're like, no, no, we're going to appeal this because this the other one's more responsible, you know. And then the appeals court was like, no, the trial court was right. So okay. my first attempt was, <laughs> if the activity that caused the harm was dangerous, we can take age into account. That's just not. No. <laughs> that's just not it. <laughs> Wait, this is the best one yet. <laughs> okay. In determining ne- negligence, minors are compared to their peers unless they were doing something that is both dangerous and usually done by adults. And I don't even huh. know if both of those elements were in this case, because I remember we talked about it in class and along with other cases, so I might be kind of accidentally synthesizing case rules in my head anyways those are my three from my three doctrinal classes that i was like this will make megan laugh at how bad i was at this okay yeah well, what's your, what were you talking about you were going to talk about redoing something okay so i have just one um and this is a case that i really enjoyed reading and i thought was very interesting so we spent a couple days in torts um which for those of you who don't know what torts are Torts are basically, (laughs) I'm still wondering. No, torts are basically like uh, cases that individuals can bring against one another to claim damages. Um, So an example of this could be like, if you were in uh, a car crash, you could take the person uh, who hit you or who you hit. Well, in that case, it would probably be the person who hit you. You could take them to court to... um, like level out the damages you're trying courts are trying to like make whole what or i wish i knew the exact wording it's like you're trying to like make the plaintiff whole again i'm paraphrasing yeah i know that's what i said earlier that's what the smart guy in my class said i know people's names now which is great what up smart guy i hope you're listening to the podcast (laughs) anywho um so we've been hanging out uh, in torts quite a bit, uh, in intentional torts. So these are these are like actions that are committed intentionally. Um, I purposefully ran into with my car. Yes, like I I saw your license, or I saw your bumper sticker, and I didn't like it, so I rammed you. That kind of thing. Um, and underneath, so you're in torts, you're in intentional torts, and then a further subdivision of that is false imprisonment which i have come to love okay i haven't (laughs) learned about this yet so i'm excited oh my god okay so false imprisonment uh is an okay i'm just gonna break it down for you it's an act with the intent to confine the plaintiff within fixed boundaries resulting in a confinement of which the plaintiff is aware and is harmed by and that final element of awareness and harm is so weird to me because <laughs> basically what it means is the plaintiff has to be like conscious that they're being confined. So if you were in some way incapacitated, you could claim that you were unaware that you were locked in the room and therefore you're not falsely imprisoned. Like it's like so bizarre. But anyway, um, there's a case. You would that- never claim that. They would claim that. Right. You would never be like, no, I want this charge dropped against me when I was being imprisoned. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. You're correct. Yeah. You're correct. Okay. I got you. I got you. Um, okay. So the case that I really enjoyed uh, that dealt with false imprisonment and violation of civil rights was uh, Elliers v. McCoy. This was brought up in a district court in Minnesota. Uh, and basically what happened was you have this guy, William Elliers, and his wife, Sandy, uh, and they're pregnant, and they travel from Minnesota to, oh, sorry, they travel from Wisconsin to Minnesota to go to Sandy's prenatal appointment. And on the way there, um, they are essentially abducted by, oh by their God. parents. 
because by their parents. Yeah. So what you don't know about William and Sandy yet, but I'm about to tell you is that they are members of this church called the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this religious group. Um, and the case specifically says, we are not talking about whether or not this is a cult, but know that it's sort of like a fringe religious group. But right? if we were, but we know we the were, website. Too. Let me tell you. Okay. So they, so William's family, family members essentially abduct them from outside this prenatal clinic um, saying that they feared for him because of all of like, like pretty big changes to his personality and his appearance. So William and his pregnant wife, Sandy, are taken to this place called the Tau Center, and they're there for five and a half days. And immediately upon arrival, William is struggling violently against his captors. I mean, to the point where he had to be handcuffed to the bed for at least a couple days. I mean, he, they were living. Wait, in is this like a cult de, like a deprogramming? De- Deprogramming. deprogramming. Yes, That's what the exactly. Tau Center is? Okay, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so at the Tau Center, they are deprogramming members of, of cults. Okay. Right. I see. But against their will, obviously. Absolutely. And Wild Prego? That's like... Wild oof. Prego. Well, spoiler That's... alert. Sand... Well, actually, I'm not going to go there yet. So, okay, so okay. Sandy and William are at this deprogramming center, and William is putting up a hell of a fight. Um, and after, like, two and a half, three days of being handcuffed to this bed and fighting back against the deprogrammers at the center, he decides that he's going to change his tactic 100%, pivot away from struggling, and pretend to actually be, like begin deprogramming. So he's he's now begins to pretend that he's enjoying his time, right? So because of that, they were less stringent with him they you know took he they unshackled him from his bed he could walk around he could talk to people um and on the very first day that he was able to leave the center you know in a van supervised by deprogrammers he uh they're like taking him to some second location to do some i don't know further deprogramming in the community i don't it doesn't say in the uh in the case but anyway he escapes by jumping from the car uh and he goes right back to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ religious group without um, his prego wife, without his prego wife, I who guess stays with the deprogrammers <sighs> and then subsequently divorces him. <laughs> so Whoa. It's like, yes, it's so interesting. And so the piece of this case that I really liked aside from just the human interest appeal of it is the, so William is suing his parents for false imprisonment. Um, and fair. they claim, I mean, it's like fair, yes, but I. So but didn't his, he have a reasonable escape? Like, wasn't there a, a like, like his confinement wasn't total? Isn't that, he could isn't have that like part of it? Like, I mean, he, there no, has to be no way for escape. Yes, no you are reason. correct. You are absolutely correct. But he was. They hired security guards to monitor him while he was okay. at the town center, so okay. he like couldn't leave. Okay. Um. Anyway, his parents claim this or they call i guess they call upon the doctrine of necessity which basically says um that a defendant has to be under the reasonable belief that a plaintiff was in danger of imminent physical injury to themselves or others so so william's parents had to think dude is out of his mind he's gonna hurt himself or someone else probably sandy who knows um they also, the doctrine of necessity, or the defense of necessity also says uh, the right to confine somebody who you think might be a harm to themselves or others lasts only as long as it takes you to transport that person to the proper authorities. So right. I'm you wondering like, about this Tau Center, like, is it government approved? Oh, I'm sure it was not. In fact, I might be conflating this with another case, but um, I feel if I remember correctly, this was run out of someone's house. Actually, no, oh. I am I am conflating that with another <laughs> case. There okay. were two cult ca- two cult cases. The other one was like a college girl whose dad was like, "What is going on with you?" and took her to like some woman's house Whoa. to have a program. Anywho, um, the third element is the actor must use the least restrictive means of preventing mm. and a- of preventing apprehended harm. The apprehended harm. So, like 
William's parents messed up on a bunch of different levels because they did not immediately restrain him in like the least, but most, the least impact. How do I put this? I understand like, what you're saying. Yeah, like, they they could have, like, I don't know, tied his hands with a cloth and then taken him to, like, the hospital. But instead, right. they handcuffed dude to a bed for a few days and never thought to take him to the hospital. Instead, they had this, like, woo-woo deprogrammer, like, go at him for whoever knows how long, you know. Anyway, this defense of necessity is, up, according to our professor, um... Shout out to Dean Armijo, because he's a really fun professor. Or Dean, I suppose. Um, You're on first name basis? Or is that the title, Dean? That's, Dean. A, that's his title. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, weird. <laughs> Not on a first name basis. I thought you were like, I guess However, I should just call him Dean. And I'm like, okay. Interesting. <laughs> if, he, if his first name was Dean, though I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, but apparently the doctrine of necessity or the defense of necessity is one element that cuts across all areas of tort law, which I think is really interesting. It's like in the event of how, you know, you just, you kind of have to go against this particular law or claim because someone's going to be a danger. Surely that didn't work. Surely this is false imprisonment. Oh, no, no, no. They did not prevail. No, no. (laughs) William, (laughs) the court held that William was absolutely falsely imprisoned. Um, But I like, I, I thought it was an interesting defense and it was just the first little taste, a little like chef's kiss doctrine of a necessity. Love that. Wow. Wait, yeah. that's so cool. I want to learn about that. I mean, not yeah. cool. I'm sorry. It sounds like really, really stressful for everyone involved, but. Yep. Did I tell you that I, I tried to take a, the, I took like kind of a part of a practice bar exam before school. <laughs> <laughs> I just was this to before or after you meal prepped for an entire calendar year? When did you get all this time? Before. I was, um, <laughs> I, one of my friends, uh, one of our listeners, um, uh, what is preparing for the LSAT. Mm-hmm. And he had helped me prepare for the LSAT because he's just really intuitively good at the LSAT. And Lucky so even though he never studied, I would come to him with my hardest questions and he would get them right. So I was like, there's no way I can like be your study buddy now that you're studying for the LSAT, but I can like give you my time. Like I can proctor a practice exam for you. So we like went into a conference room and I was like, okay, what am I going to do that's not going to distract uh, him while, I, while I'm proctoring? And so I was like, I'll just take a practice bar exam. Oh, my. <laughs> just the multiple choice part. And so there's like, five, you know, there's five answer choices. So I'm reading these hypos like the one you just said. Mm-hmm. And I've got five options. And so like if you have, if you were guessing randomly, you would have a one out of five chance. It's like 20%. So after like however many hours I was proctoring this exam, I had gone through 75 questions. And I think I got like, I think I got like 30% right. oh my slightly better than totally random and that was me really feeling good about this so when when i was like (laughs) i also recommend that as a fun activity for anyone who (laughs) who's interested in law school but i when you said this and i said surely surely the necessity thing didn't work I, I tried to say that with confidence, but in my mind, I was like, it could totally have worked. Like, I really, like especially for torts, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it could go anyway. Like, I don't know enough about the law yet. Um, oh, yeah. that's good. Things that's I do. Things I do with my time. Not anymore. Yeah. What time? Uh, oh. Speaking of time. We should probably... Uh, Whoa, this is our long episode because we're actually talking about briefs. Yeah. <laughs> this is just law school. This is brief law school, not law school and brief. Oof, yeah. This is an outlier episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're still with us. <laughs> but I needed so, this. I was thinking, like, if I didn't have this podcast, I would have given up on self-reflection at this point because I would have been too busy. I would just be, like, head down, read, read, read. Yeah. So I'm grateful to you. This but actually feels... I mean, not only is this cathartic being able to talk to one of my closest friends in the world who is also going through the same thing as me, but it's nice to, like, I knew that we were roughly going to, like, talk about our favorite cases, and so I had to look back and think, 
Which yeah. ones do I like and for what reason and what did I pick apart from them, you know? Me too. I had to pick out my ones with the funniest um, first attempts. I did do well on some. I, I just have to defend my 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 honor. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I forgot, I forgot to read you my uh, my rule of law for the Oh, the yes, please. And, and then I'll be done. Are you ready? Yeah. My rule of law is, quote, the doctrine of necessity. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends there. <laughs> uh, so you're gonna rewrite that, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> Probably no. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You wait. Oh, you copy and pasted like the doctrine, or did you just write the doctrine of necessity? I wrote period? the doctrine of necessity. I forgot the period. I'm adding it right now. Um, but underneath that, not as my rule of law, I wrote a note about what the doctrine and defense of necessity was. So it's not like oh, I'm completely okay, okay. like, you know, I just, I if like, I don't, even a sentence, but okay. if I don't know the answer a hundred percent for sure, I usually leave it blank. And then when I'm in class, I'll write it in red once I figure it out. So that way, when I'm looking back on my notes, I'm like, I did not know that before, but I know it now yeah. and I should pay attention. Anywho, you know, cool. each their own. I like it. Well, Very thank good. you for sharing. And thank you listeners for your patience during this hour long episode. Oh my. Yeah. If you're still here, we love you. If you're not good riddance. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You'll never hear it. Cause you aren't here. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Bye Megan. Bye, bye. listeners. Oh, and in, it's my mom's birthday oh. week. So happy birthday. Shout mom. Out to Lydia's mom. Happy birthday. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs>